Welcome to episode 112 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for Sunday, January 25th, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's return of the Fredcast, Floyd Landis and Lance Armstrong's return to cycling. Chris Hoy is knighted by the Queen, a ton of product recalls, and the Macintosh that was almost a bicycle. Following the news, information about a great bike calendar where you can get event information, the outdoor retailer Winter Market 2009, and an interview with the author of a book on social media for bike shops. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer, just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by listeners just like you. You know, there's listeners just like you who are sending in PayPal donations and just plain clicking on the advertising links at www.thefredcast.com. Going to stores you would go to anyway, getting the same prices you would normally get, but supporting the Fredcast. Thanks so much for your donations and your support. It's greatly appreciated. Well, what can I say but welcome back. It has been a number of months since I've done a regular episode of the Fredcast, and i got to tell you, it feels good to be back in the saddle, so to speak. Well, back in the saddle for the Fredcast, although it's been literally a few months since I've actually been in my bicycle saddle. Well, for those of you who don't read my blog or who haven't been listening to the few updates that I've done. It's been a hectic couple of months here for the Fredcast family, uh, but thankfully things are starting to settle down and I am glad to be back with you. Yes, got a new day job, definitely taking up a lot of my time, and I'm working on ways where the Fredcast will take up a little bit less of my time through hiring uh, an assistant to do research, also hiring a manager slash agent to help me with uh, a number of other duties, including finding advertisers and helping set up interviews and things like that. Meanwhile, also trying to find ways to monetize the show, and we'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks and months. I want to thank all of you for your support during this time. It has been Uh, Well, troubling to say the least for the world economy and certainly troubling for me personally, but it's great to be back, back on my feet. And as I said earlier, back in the saddle. A lot of plans for the Fredcast for 2009 and beyond, including some plans I've been putting together for this year's tour of California. This will be my third year covering the Amgen Tour of California as it winds its way from Northern California down to Southern California. It's an expanded race this year. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that coverage. I will be there for the event, and I will also be partnering up with Cycle Film as we put together some videos for the event and probably doing some additional partnering with Bicycle.net as we did last year just to try to bring you the best wall-to-wall coverage that we can of what is arguably one of North America's best uh, and most attended and perhaps most popular stage races featuring the return of racing of both Lance Armstrong and Floyd Landis to American soil. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So without further ado, welcome back to the Fredcast. I'm hoping to have this out on a weekly basis from now on. I'm working on that and it's time for the news. I think the place to start the news for this week is with 
The news that the war is over and that peace has finally been declared, well, hopefully it's not an an uneasy peace. And what we're talking about is the war between the Grand Tours. How many times have I said this? The Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, and the Vuelta a España, and the UCI, the Union Cycliste International, the world governing sanctioning body for cycling around the world, as I've been talking about probably since episode number one of the Fredcast. The organizers of the Grand Tours have not been pleased with the UCI Pro Tour system since it was formed several years ago. Specifically, they didn't like the fact that the UCI would dictate who would be invited to Pro Tours and more than a few skirmishes along the road. Well, thankfully, there is now a new system of international professional cycling. The Pro Tour will remain and we'll have the Pro Tour calendar, but we will also have a new world calendar as well. So this year's Pro Tour events include the Tour Down Under, the Tour of Flanders, Vuelta Ciclista al País Vasco, Ghent Wevelgem, Amstel Gold, Tour de Romandie, Volta Ciclista a Catalunya, the Dauphiné Libéré, the Tour de Switzerland, the San Sebastian Classic, the Tour de Pologne, Vattenfall Cy Classics, the Eneco Tour, and the GP West France. Meanwhile, the world calendar includes several of those races that I've just mentioned as well as several well-known international races, including the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta a España, 10 stage races, including that Tour Down Under, and 11 one-day classics. This is finally going to settle the issue between the Grand Tours and the UCI. And we will end up with a Pro Tour ranking, and we will also end up with a world professional ranking as well based on that world calendar. According to UCI President Pat McQuaid, quote, cycling has now regained its unity and harmony. Cycling has experienced a very severe conflict over the past recent years, and it has caused the sport considerable harm. It represents the successful outcome of a genuinely collective effort. It takes into account the heritage of our sport, as well as the legitimate ambitions of the global development of our sport. As we've talked about here before, one of the organizations that has been at the forefront of sort of this war between the UCI and the Grand Tours is the Amari Sports Organization, or the organization that puts on the Tour de France every year. And representing ASO on the working group that put together this world calendar was a gentleman by the name of Jean-Francois Pechou, and he said, quote, It was not possible while there was a war between the UCI and the organizers. I think we have found the best solution. So in a nutshell, here is how this is going to work. Basically, the world calendar guarantees to race organizers, sponsors, and broadcasters, because remember, we had several broadcasters in the last couple of years pull out of races like the Tour de France, especially the German broadcasters. Some of that had to do with doping. Some of it also had to do with the whole argument going on between the UCI and the race organizers. It will guarantee that the 16 best teams will race at all the top events. Riders and teams will therefore collect points for finishing positions in races and in individual stages, and that will count toward those world rankings that I mentioned earlier. Now, the rankings in the world calendar will be restricted to those teams and riders who participate in and help fund the $68 million biological passport program that was set up last year. 
From 2011, the rankings are intended to also decide which teams will be able to enter the Tour de France. Sounds like a great compromise, and hopefully this will end a darker chapter in professional cycling. And, you know, with all of these teams being involved in the biological passport program, all of these world calendar teams, I'm hoping that it will also help bring about the end to doping in professional cycling. Of course, I've been hoping that for a number of years, so we will see what happens. And speaking of topics that we've talked about here on the Fredcast time after time, and speaking of doping, here's a phrase that won't surprise you, Operation Puerto. Yes, Puerto has reared its ugly head once again, and the reason for that is that a court in Madrid has ordered the reopening of the investigation into Operation Puerto. Now, for those of you who haven't been with the Fredcast long or perhaps haven't been following professional cycling, Operation Puerto was a case in which they were investigating a Spanish doctor by the name of Eufemiano Fuentes and his alleged assistance of cyclists and other athletes in using performance-enhancing drugs. This case has been ongoing for a number of years, and for a long time we thought that it was over. And now the court in Spain is bringing it back and reopening the investigation. In the investigation, more than 50 cyclists were implicated, including former Tour de France winner Jan Ulrich, Tour of Spain or Vuelta a España winner Roberto Harris, and Giro d'Italia winner Ivan Basso. The investigation ended in March 2007 when a judge said that despite proof of doping, there was still insufficient evidence to prosecute. Now that the case has been reopened, even Lance Armstrong has chimed in. He said, quote, You guys, meaning the media, have a responsibility to keep in mind that Operation Puerto is not a cycling controversy. It is a sports controversy. If we're going to open a Puerto and talk about cyclists, then let's talk about soccer. Let's talk about tennis. Let's talk about everybody else involved. And I couldn't agree with Lance Armstrong more. I mean, I've talked on this show before about uh, athletes in professional baseball in the United States and in professional football. And while some of those guys end up in their respective halls of fame and it seems clear uh, that they have been involved in doping, it seems that it's the cycling world that gets the most press and is seen as the dirtiest or dopiest, if you will, of all the professional sports. I think Lance is right. It's time the entire world professional sport community opened up and got rid of doping once and for all. As for UCI President Pat McQuaid, I think it'll come as no surprise to anyone who's been following this whole affair that he supports the reopening of Operation Puerto and the investigation therein. He said, quote, we hope that this time the judge will see it out right to the end. If there are cyclists involved in this affair, we have to have the possibility to punish them. Echoing the sentiment about other sports being involved, he said, quote, Fuentes said it himself. 30% of his clients were cyclists. Where are the other 70%? More news as it comes in on Operation Puerto. And speaking of professional cycling and professional cyclists and Lance Armstrong, you'll recall in September, you heard the Lance Armstrong press conference right here on the Fredcast when Lance reannounced, if you will, his return to professional cycling. And he made good on that promise this week when he competed in the Tour Down Under, the first pro tour event of the season. 
And Lance did pretty well, including taking part in a breakaway on stage three. And at the end of the week-long tour down under, which ended today, well, no, Lance was nowhere near the podium. He finished 29th, only 49 seconds behind the overall winner, Alan Davis of Australia. According to Lance, he felt comfortable and happy with his performance. Lance was quoted as saying his performance in the Tour Down Under is, quote, a good indication. I've done the right work. I still have to fine-tune things, get lighter, still get fitter, and work on certain aspects of my conditioning. But I'm headed in the right way. I'd say we're on track, if not ahead of schedule. Even if it was a normal year, when you're focused on July and the Tour de France, I wouldn't be riding this well in January. For his part, Tour winner Alan Davis, who won three stages of this year's uh, Tour Down Under, said, quote, I've finally done it. I can't believe it. This win is very important to the team. He's on Team Quickstep, by the way. It's the first Pro Tour race of the season with three stages and the overall win. It has been an unbelievable race. Top spots in the general classification of this year's 2009 Tour Down Under. Again, first place going to Alan Davis from Australia and Team Quickstep. 19 hours, 26 minutes, and 59 seconds. Second place to Australia's Stuart O'Grady from Team Saxo Bank. Remember, that's the former Team CSC, now called Team Saxo Bank. 25 seconds back. Third place, Jose Joaquin Rojas Gil from Spain and Castaparna. 30 seconds back. Rounding out the top 10, fourth place, Martin Elmiger from Switzerland and AG2R. Fifth to Wesley Sulzberger from Austria and Francaise de Joux. Sixth place, Michael Rogers from Australia and Team Columbia High Road. Seventh, Australia's Michael Wilson from UniSA. In eighth, Moro Santambrogio from Italy and Team Lamprey. Ninth, Yussi Vekanen from Finland and Francaise de Joux and his teammate, Michael Chiral from France in 10th place. So the next races on the respective UCI Pro Tour and the World Calendar coming up next in the World Calendar, March 8th through the 15th is Perry Nice. And coming up next on the UCI Pro Tour calendar, it's the Tour de Flanders or the Ron von Vlanderen, and that is April 5th. We'll have all of those results as they come up. And of course, in between now and then, we can't forget the Tour of California. So the Tour of California is arriving soon, and it's arriving as a Valentine's Day present for cycling fans around the world because it begins on February 14th, and it goes all the way till the 22nd, going from Northern California all the way down to San Diego County this year. It's going to add a couple of extra stages, and it should add a lot of excitement. Now, if you're wondering who's going to be participating in this year's Tour of California, well, those teams were just announced three days ago in Los Angeles, and here is the complete roster of 17 of the world's top professional teams, including the return to racing in the United States of Lance Armstrong and Floyd Landis. Team lineups include AG2R, Team Astana, Bissell, BMC, Cervelo, Colavita Sutter Home, Fly V Australia, Garmin Chipotle, Jelly Belly, Licky Goss, Ouch, presented by Maxis. We'll be talking about that in a moment. Team Quickstep, Robobank, Rock Racing, Saxo Bank, Team Columbia, 
and Team Type 1. As I mentioned earlier, the Fredcast is going to be doing some additional coverage from this year's Tour of California. And by the way, if any of you are listening and you've got a company, whether you are in the bike industry or without, and you'd like to sponsor some of that coverage, please shoot me an email to thefredcast at gmail.com. Now, speaking of Team Ouch, presented by Maxis, there is a new member of that team, a name that you all know, somebody we've talked about before, coming off of a two-year suspension for uh, the purported use of doping in the Tour de France. It's Floyd Landis. Now, Floyd is returning to professional cycling, and he's given a couple of interviews lately, including one that he gave to the Associated Press just a few days ago, in which he said that he was feeling like a kid again, knowing that he would be uh, no longer banned from professional cycling just a few days later. According to Landis, quote, in my mind, it's already behind me. I'm not dwelling on it at all. But then what was interesting was I, I found that it seemed to me that Floyd was taunting Lance Armstrong just a bit when he said this, quote, this isn't some kind of statement to shut down the critics or any kind of changing the world project of mine. This is me doing what I've trained myself to do for the last 15 years, and I hope that the people who follow bike racing get a better show than what they've had in the last couple of years. Going on to talk about uh, Lance Armstrong, he said, quote, I don't think our two returns to the sport are that similar, other than that we haven't raced in a while. I wish him the best. I think it's great for cycling, and the Tour of California will be a good show. Well, there's no doubt about that. What's interesting, however, is Lance Armstrong's reaction to Floyd's return. Armstrong taking a definite conciliatory tone toward Floyd Landis, uh, toward Ivan Basso, said, quote, people serve their time, and when their time is up, they get to go back to work. Sometimes I get frustrated with people who criticize his, meaning Landis's return, and then stand up and cheer when David Miller returns. There's no point in criticizing Basso or Landis. They've paid their penalty. That's normally the way society works. Let's forgive and forget and get back on down the road. And that's exactly what's going to happen come February 14th. Armstrong and Landis will get down the road, and I think it's going to be an exciting event. I'm looking forward to it. Well, as I mentioned, Floyd Landis is going to be riding with Team Ouch, presented by Maxis in 2009. And I got a message today from a Fredcast listener, Joel, who mentioned that he had a great opportunity this weekend. Here's Joel to tell you all about it. Hey, David. Uh, this is Joel. I just want to leave a quick note of kind of uh, something I did this weekend. Um, so David, I was, uh, able to win a VIP, uh, getaway weekend with team ouch. I won it, uh, on an online entry through trisports.com, which is a triathlete, uh, website, but also has road, uh, bike equipment. And anyways, I, I won the, the, the VIP weekend for me and a friend. Uh, so I was able to go up to team ouch, uh, training camp on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and it was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, we got to ride uh, with the whole team on a uh, ride on Saturday, and then we went for a little other ride after that, and then on Sunday we rode uh, another ride. And uh, it was just it was so cool, and all the team riders were just so awesome. They all would come up to you, and just they were so friendly, and they'd greet themselves and ask uh, who you are, and what you're doing, something that I thought was so cool. Um, 
Floyd Landis and Roy Sutherland were just exceptional, good guys. Um, just a great time, you know, something I'll never forget. It was uh, really enjoyable. I got to take my buddy Seth, which is a big cycling fan and also a Fredcast fan, and he uh, really uh, loved it and enjoyed it. And We just had a great uh, weekend. The new uh, kits for Team Ouch look awesome, and their uh, bikes, the quota bikes, were just, I mean, I was just drooling over them. Uh, I put some photos on my website, so you can check them out there. And um, overall, I had just an exceptional uh, time, and it was something so unique for a fan to be able to spend a weekend with um, the team uh, while they're doing training camp. Uh, like I was saying, the Tri-Sports guys uh, put me up in a hotel right there at the team hotel with uh, everybody, and um, we just woke up in the morning, we went riding, and we got to see all their uh, stuff that um, Team Ouch has, and uh, got to meet all the different sponsors that sponsor the team. It was a, it was just an awesome day. So anyways, I wanted to share that with you and share it. Hopefully maybe you can share it with your listeners. Well, as I told Joel after he sent that message to me, I'm green with envy because that just sounds awesome. What a great weekend he had. And it sounds like the team really treated them well. And by the way, if you want to see some photos of Joel riding with the team, go to Joel's website, it's www.joelprice.com, and there are links in the show notes. Joel, thanks so much for sending that in, and I'm sure you are still riding on Cloud9 after what was a great weekend. Now, by the way, speaking of the Tour of California, uh, I mentioned that we're going to be doing some special coverage here at the Fredcast this year, but I also wanted to let you know that Versus, the TV network here in the United States that carries the Tour de France and other cycling coverage, Versus has committed to doing full wall-to-wall coverage February 14th through the 22nd of the Tour of California, including for the first time live coverage of the weekday stages of the event. That is great news. For more info, go to Versus.com, where they'll have the full schedule and lineup of their coverage for this year's 2009 Amgen Tour of California. You know, winning the Tour of California or the Tour Down Under or the Tour de France is an amazing honor for a professional cyclist, the pinnacle of their career. So is winning an Olympic gold medal or two or perhaps three as the way that Chris Hoy did this year at the Beijing Olympics, pardon me, the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Well, not only did he win those three gold medals in the Olympics, not only did the BBC award him Sports Personality of the Year, but as of New Year's Day of 2009, Chris Hoy is no longer just Chris Hoy. He is Sir Chris Hoy because the Queen of England herself awarded him the honor of Knight Commander of the British Empire. According to Hoy, quote, it's incredible and I'm absolutely delighted. I still can't believe it, to be honest. To be given a knighthood is an enormous honor. And of course, he said that with a U in honor. And it means so much to me and also to my family. I was stunned when I first found out and the news is still sinking in. I'm not sure if I will ever get used to people calling me Sir Chris. And of course, I want to thank our friend and colleague, Carlton Reed from bikebiz.com and quickrelease.tv because Carlton was twittering about this even before the list was announced, hoping against hope that Chris would be knighted. And he is indeed now Sir Chris Hoy, Knight Commander of the British Empire. Congratulations. 
Okay, moving away from professional cycling and into consumer cycling. Unfortunately, in the Fredcast, I have the displeasure of bringing you product recall information from time to time when they come up. Well, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, count them, a half a dozen product recalls that have occurred since I last spoke to you. And I do consider it my responsibility to bring those to you. Starting with Magura's recall of Durin Race 80 100 suspension forks. In this case, there's about 320 forks involved. And the hazard involved here is that the front fork can break, thereby causing the rider to crash. There have been no reported incidents or injuries here in the United States, but there was one reported overseas. Basically, the fork that you're looking for uh, is either white or black, in the words Magura and MD100R or MD80R are printed on the forks. These were sold nationwide in bike stores and through various websites, including Magura's own www.magura.com from October 2007 through to December 2008 for about $800. As with all of the recalls I'm going to be going over today, details are in the show notes, including links to the Consumer Product Safety Commission's specific page about each recall and each manufacturer's page about each recall. So as I mentioned, each one of these, if you think that your particular product may be involved, I'm not going to say it for each one. Stop using it right away. Go to the page um, that's noted in the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. Get the information and get your product fixed. The next recall is Rock Shocks Forks, specifically the Domain 302 and 318 forks. There's about 175 of these involved, and in this case, they have steel steerer tubes which can crack, therefore causing the fork to detach from the bike and causing the rider to lose control and crash. There is one incident with a minor injury that has been reported, and two other incidents without injuries have been reported. Once again, these are the Domain 302 and 318 bike forks with steel steerer tubes. These were sold for installation on new bikes. Only those forks manufactured between March 2008 and October 2008 with date codes 09T as in Tom 8 through 42T as in Tom 8 are included. You can find the date code on the back of the fork crown and on the lower portion of the fork leg. The domain fork was installed on transition bottle rocket bikes and may also have been installed on Rocky Mountain Flatline 1, Rocky Mountain Slayer SS350, and Rocky Mountain Slayer SS396 bikes. Again, details are in the show notes. so You can check out whether or not your product, your RockShox fork is included in this recall. Now, the next one is a voluntary recall. This one means that the manufacturer has decided on their own to recall a product, and this one is from Mavic. Specifically, Mavic has announced a voluntary recall of its R-SYS front wheels, and this is as a precautionary safety measure. Mavic says that the carbon tubular spokes of these wheels may break during use in certain circumstances, causing the rider to lose control and possibly fall, potentially sustaining injury. All models of Mavic R-SYS front wheels are included 
in this recall, whether they were purchased separately or as part of a bike, and the wheels should no longer be used. Once again, contact information is in the show notes. Next up, Giant Bicycles is recalling about 1,000-2009 model year TCR Advanced SL and SLISP bicycles and frame sets. Once again here, it's a front fork problem. The density of the steerer tubes can cause the forks to crack and break, posing a fall hazard to the consumer. They've received one report of the fork cracking with no reported injuries. Again, these are the 2009 TCR Advanced SL Team, SL0, SL1, SL2, and SLISP model bicycles and frames in silver, charcoal, blue, and red. These can be identified because the words Giant and TCR Advanced SL are printed on the frame. Steer tubes with B as in boy, N as in Nancy, P as in Paul at the end of the serial number are not not included in this recall, and other TCR model bikes are also not included in the recall. Authorized giant bike dealers sold these nationwide from August 2008 through December 2008 for between $3,300 and $7,500. Next up, Denote Lighting Systems is recalling, along with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, about 1,700 lithium-ion batteries used with their bicycle lights. These were manufactured by AA Portable Power Corp. of Richmond, California, and distributed by Denote Lighting of Hampton, New Hampshire. The problem here? A loose wiring connection and improper venting can cause the battery to overheat, posing a burn hazard to the user. There have been no reported incidents or injuries. And the specific description of this product, denote lighting lithium-ion batteries with nylon bags as used in the denote 5-watt lithium-ion bicycle lights and denote 3 LED police bicycle lights. The denote logo is printed on the battery cable connector. These were sold nationwide through independent stores and internet retailers from February 2006 through March 2007 for between $200 and $400. Once again, because these are slightly older products than some of the others that we've talked about, good bet for you to go check those show notes and see if your product is included. And finally, last but not least, Saris and Cycleops are going to be recalling some of their stationary bike trainers. Here, there's about 2,000 involved in this case, a handle pin on the trainer can loosen during use, causing the machine to become disengaged and pose a fall hazard to the user. Now, it's wintertime. A lot of us are using our trainers. If you've got a Cyclops trainer, go ahead and check to see if yours matches this description. These are models. Pro Series Trainer Models 9014, 9331, 9460, 9321 and 9322. Each of those also had model names, including Super Magneto Pro, Jet Fluid Pro, Power Beam Pro, Jet Fluid Pro Winter Training Kit, and Super Magneto Pro Winter Training Kit. These were sold at independent bicycle retailers nationwide from October through November of 2008 for between about $400 and $1,200. So if you bought one of these in the fall and winter of just a couple of months ago, maybe you got one for a Christmas or Hanukkah gift, go ahead and check it out. See if yours is included. If so, stop using it right away 
and get in touch with Saris and Cyclops to get your unit repaired or replaced. Sorry, there were so many product recalls, but I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. Make sure that you all knew about every one of these product recalls because they can all pose serious hazards to you. And I want to have as many Fredcast listeners around for as long as possible. So go ahead and see if your products are included. Well, we've talked on the show in the past about various cities, Paris and other places that have instituted bike sharing programs. And with the state of the economy, with the state of the environment, with gas prices, um, I think bike share programs are probably going to become more prevalent around the world. Well, the latest cities getting bike share programs, the first of which is Denver, Colorado. And this new program, dubbed the Denver B-Cycle, got initial funding from a $1 million donation from the Denver 2008 Convention Host Committee. According to Denver Mayor John Hickenlooper, quote, the positive feedback we received from the bike sharing program during the 2008 Democratic National Convention was remarkable. We're confident that the Denver B cycle will prove equally popular while improving our fitness levels and our environment. So that is going to be great news for those of you who are in Denver. Look for that coming soon. And for those of you in Brisbane, Australia, you too are going to be getting a Paris-style bicycle hire scheme, and this will be an Australian first intended to cut traffic and pollution. The city of Brisbane has signed a 20-year contract with the contractor for the bike hire system, and that contract will cover installation, operation, and maintenance of this new bicycle hire system. The city is also going to be spending a record $100 million on new bikeways by 2012. That is great news for those of you in Brisbane. Hopefully more Australian cities and certainly more American cities will also take advantage of these kinds of programs. It's a great way to get more people on bikes and get people from place to place with a better impact on their own personal fitness as well as the environment. While we're talking about the land down under, for those of you who may ride in Victoria, Australia, it seems that there are some folks who have decided to take to a bit of vigilanteism to try to keep riders from riding in public lands. Instead of trying to get the police or rangers involved, what they've done is they've strung barbed wire at neck and head height for cyclists, as well as putting steel spikes on metal plates protruding from the ground to try to stop and injure cyclists. Now, I can certainly understand if it is illegal uh, for folks to ride on public lands where there might be people who are upset, or perhaps even if it is legal, that there are some people who are simply anti-cyclist. But there is no doubt that this is no way to treat what is essentially uh, a pretty harmless crime, if indeed it is a crime, or even an annoyance to try to hurt, maim, or kill someone is no way for um, you to solve a problem. Police spokesman said, quote, I think they just have a problem with riders. They would probably say they're just annoying, and it's disgusting. There are no other words to describe it. For the, so for those of you who are down under, please watch out for each other. And watch out for these traps. This is extremely dangerous stuff. Speaking of dangerous, you'll all recall the story that we talked about on the Fredcast around July 4th of 2008, when a couple of riders were in Los Angeles were out for a holiday ride in the Mandeville Canyon area. Pretty spectacular place, but 
also a place where a lot of rich folks live. And they had a little bit of a confrontation with an emergency room doctor who decided that he would take the law into his own hands by pulling out in front of the cyclist and slamming on his brakes, thereby causing them both to slam into the back of his car, through the rear windshield, and injure both of them. That doctor has now pled not guilty to the charges involved in this case, and a judge has set a trial date of March 6th. Dr. Christopher Thompson is 59 years old, faces felony counts of reckless driving, battery, and other charges stemming from that incident. As soon as we get more information on that, I will bring it to you here on the Fredcast. This next story comes to us from the American state of Montana, and it's one of these stories that I would love to hear your feedback on. You know, we talk time and time again about cyclists who run stop signs and run red lights, about how dangerous that is, about how the fact is that it is indeed against the law, and also about the fact that it tends to annoy drivers and perpetuate the stereotype about cyclists and our um, disregard of the rules of the road. Well, a Montana lawmaker has introduced a state law that would allow cyclists to treat stop signs as yield signs. Uh, For those of you who are in the UK, those would be give way signs. Uh, Basically, the exact wording of the proposed law is, quote, a person operating a bicycle approaching a stop sign shall slow down and, if required for safety, stop before entering the intersection. After slowing to a reasonable speed or stopping, the person shall yield the right-of-way to any vehicle in the intersection or approaching another highway close enough to constitute an immediate hazard. After slowing to a reasonable speed and yielding the right-of-way, a person operating a bicycle may proceed through the intersection without stopping. So I'm curious to hear your feedback. What do you think of this law? This is House Bill 68 in the Montana Legislature. You think it's a good idea to allow cyclists to treat stop signs as yield or give way signs? Or do you think cyclists should, as other vehicles, have to stop at stop signs? Let me know your thoughts. Thefredcast at gmail.com is the email address, and our voicemail hotline is area code 435-258-6373. Let me know what you think. You know, last week we saw history made here in the United States, not only in our peaceful transition of power from one president to the next, not only in the way in which the democracy here in the United States works, but also in the fact that the United States inaugurated its first African-American president in President Barack Obama. The inauguration, as many of you probably know, was perhaps one of the most watched and most attended in recent memory, if not in all of history. And one of the ways that we know that is something that was reported by the Washington Area Bicycle Association when they said that they parked a record 2,040 bikes at their bike valet for President Obama's inauguration. That is much more than any other bicycle valet has ever parked uh, at any event yet so far And it, I think, shows not only how many people went to the inauguration, but how many people went by bike. If you went by bike and if you've got pictures, I would love to see them and I'll certainly post them at thefredcast.com. Go ahead and send those to me, thefredcast at gmail.com. 
And finally, yesterday was an anniversary, the 25th anniversary of something that's near and dear to my heart. Yesterday, January 24th, 2009, was the 25th anniversary of the Macintosh computer. And you may recall in those days, that was when we got to see the 1984 television commercial that was directed by Ridley Scott that debuted at the Super Bowl that year. And of course, you can find that on YouTube. But it's also interesting to note that the Macintosh was almost the bicycle. According to a uh, news story on ZDNet.com, quote, the name Macintosh was originally selected because it was Jeff Raskin's favorite type of Apple, Jeff Raskin being involved in the development of the first Macintosh computer. But the Mac almost wasn't an Apple at all. When Raskin took a leave of absence in February of 1981, Steve Jobs and Rod Holt made the decision to change Apple to something else. They felt that the name Macintosh was just a code name, and then a name change was in order to reflect the change in regime. Holt decided on Bicycle as the new name that would replace Raskin's Macintosh for the duration of the project and presented it to his design team. When they balked, Holt insisted that all references to Macintosh be changed to Bicycle, telling them that it shouldn't really matter since it was only a code name. The bicycle name originated from an ad that Apple had placed in Scientific American. The ad featured quotes from Steve Jobs about computers, including one about how personal computers were, quote, bicycles for the mind. The logic being that humans could run as fast as other species, but in a human, on a bicycle, could beat them all. Rod's edict was never obeyed, and somehow Macintosh just seemed right. So from my Macintosh computer, or perhaps from my bicycle, that's going to end the news for this episode of the Fredcast. You know, one of the things that we talk about here on the Fredcast and have done since the very inception of the program is upcoming events, and whether that's charity rides uh, or whether that's uh, group rides taking place or upcoming races, sometimes it's hard to keep track of all of the events that are going on. And our friend and colleague, somebody we mentioned earlier, Carlton Reed from bikebiz.com and quickrelease.tv has created a calendar for the second year in a row that cyclists around the world can use to keep track of what's going on in the cycling world. I've put links in the show notes to where you can find Carlton's calendar and it's accessible via the web, XML, Google Calendar, whether you're a member or not, or via iCal for iPhones and for Macs. Carlton has done a great job putting this calendar together, and it's something I wholeheartedly endorse and recommend. Go ahead and check it out. The show notes are at www.thefredcast.com. Now, speaking of upcoming events, I got a message from a friend of mine who lives down on Galveston Island in Texas. Darren and I have known each other well, I think before we were even born, because his mom and my mom were great friends, and uh, we were born just a couple of days apart. As a matter of fact, Darren's middle name is David, uh, because I think his parents wanted to name him David, but I came out first. So anyway, Darren and his family uh, live down on Galveston Island, and as many of you know, Galveston took a massive hit a direct hit from a large hurricane in 2008, and the island has gone through uh, just a torturous time as a result. Well, Darren wanted to let me know about an event that's coming up in Galveston, and he was hoping that we might be able to get some Fredcast listeners and others to get down there to support Galveston because the island, as he said, has taken an incredibly massive hit 
uh, due to Hurricane Ike, and they need all the help they can get. He says the more people and money we can get to the island, the better. And therefore, he wanted me to let you know about the Lone Star Triathlon Festival taking place on Galveston Island, April 3rd through 5th, 2009. There's going to be full-length triathlons and sprint triathlons and all sorts of fun stuff going on for the family and for athletes, and I would encourage you to check it out. I put a link in the show notes to where you can find out more information. And you know what? Galveston Island is just a great place there on the Gulf Coast. It's beautiful. The weather is great, and I think that you will really enjoy it. So I hope for those of you that are in the area and for those of you who just simply want to support Galveston in their rebuilding efforts, head down to Galveston in April, say hi to Darren and Heidi and to his family, and take part in the Lone Star Triathlon Festival. I know that you will enjoy it. Go ahead and check it out. And if you do, send me an audio report, send me some photos. I'll be happy to post them at thefredcast.com. Go ahead and check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, for the last couple of years, I've been attending the Outdoor Retailer Show. It's great very convenient because it's right here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I've done a number of reports from uh, the Outdoor Retailer Show, and I visited the show again this weekend, found a couple of great people to interview about some really great products. I'm going to present those to you now, but I also want you to go to uh, the website at thefredcast.com where I have posted uh, just a short, about three or four minute video with some video highlights of some of the cycling related products that I saw at the show. The Outdoor Retailer Show to me is is just a lot of fun. It's perhaps one of the only trade shows you can go to where people get to bring their dogs and I've got that in the video. And what's really great is every dog has a, a badge just like every attendee. And it's also a trade show where every day they have Beer 30. At 4.30 every afternoon, it seems like almost every booth at the show breaks out beer for the attendees, and it's just a big party and a lot of fun. So go ahead and check out the video at thefredcast.com, and by the way, that video was shot on a Flip Mino HD, which I am currently testing for evaluation and future product review here on the Fredcast, so thanks so much to them for supplying me with that camera. And now, without further ado, here is Ian Iverson from Ivar, John Sullivan from Talus Outdoor Technologies, and Bill Porter from Sunto at the Outdoor Retailer Winter Market 2009. Well, welcome to the Outdoor Retailer Show for 2009. I am standing in the booth for Ivar, and I am with Ian Iverson. He is the founder of the company and the inventor of the product, and I know I'm not going to describe it right. So it's it's a backpack, but it's so much more. And it says, we fixed what was wrong with your backpack. So what was wrong with my backpack? Well, David, nice to meet you. Uh, What's wrong with your typical backpack is it is essentially an open sack. And when you put all your stuff inside of it, all the weight and all your stuff just falls to the bottom. Your weight is focused on your lower back. It's disorganized, and, and the big point is it's uncomfortable, and it's a health concern. You know, it's bad for your spine. Uh, so what we've done with Ivar is we've patented an internal shelving design uh, that's angled that doesn't let all your stuff fall to the bottom. The shelving design creates ideal weight distribution of everything. Everything sits on these shelves. Um, everything is stable. Everything is organized and easier to get to. So you just described my daughter's backpacks to a T. I mean, everything's sitting on their lower back. They're walking funny. It drives me crazy. Um, Tell me, from a cyclist perspective, uh, especially bike commuters, um, how will this positive weight distribution uh, help them? Well, the shelves create 
incredible load stability. That's, that's one of the things that we've found. Your items, whatever you want to put inside of an Ivar backpack, will not bounce around like they would in a typical open sack backpack. Typical open sack, they bounce around. They might shift on you. You might get poked by the corner of a book. Who knows? In an Ivar backpack, they'll stay within the shelves, stabled, and, uh, and not to mention all the weight won't be on your lower back. It'll be evenly distributed from bottom to top inside the pack, which is important for a cyclist while you're riding down the street. So this may sound blasphemous to most bicycle commuters, but I've never found your traditional uh, messenger bag to be very comfortable. It always seems like it's sitting really low, and and my back ends up hurting when I use it. So this is probably going to solve some of those problems. It's really going to solve those problems. Messengers, they're very popular, but like you said, they're they're uncomfortable. It's only on one shoulder. A lot of times they'll shift and they'll be on one side of your body. Uh, you might show up at your destination a little bit lopsided because, you know, you, you only got one sh- uh, strap on one shoulder and the weight's on one side of your body. This backpack will solve the issue. Now, with the internal shelving system, is that taking up space or are we still talking about the same amount of capacity that you would have in a similar-sized conventional backpack? Yeah. We actually probably add more space. Uh, the internal shelving design, a lot of people think, well, maybe it gets in the way, but it's made out of soft foam and nylon sewn in. It's very flexible and durable, so you can put pretty much any shape, size thing you want inside. Uh, typical backpack with all that stuff sitting at the bottom, there's a big air bubble at, to- at the top of the backpack because all the weight and all the stuff's at the bottom. In our backpack, you could put stuff on the shop top shelf, for example, so you're taking advantage of space up at the top of the backpack. And then we have another large compartment at the very top, so you can really take advantage of the backpack from bottom to top. How many different kinds of styles do you have, and do you have styles that will fit laptops as well? Yes. We have six different styles. Currently, we have two styles that we're shipping. Uh, we have our next generation that encompass four different styles, different sizes, um, All the backpacks can carry a laptop in the middle shelf, in the middle compartment. Uh, Our new product line has a flap for that middle compartment so that you may better secure your laptop. So, yes, we do carry laptops. And up to how large? I mean, if somebody's got like a 17-inch MacBook Pro, is it going to fit? Are we talking about something a little smaller, more 15-inch size? More 15-inch size, maybe a little bit bigger. You know, it'd be good to test it out first, but I'd say, you know, they're designed for about a 15 or a 16-inch. Okay, so testing it out. Where can people test them out? Where can they find more information about your backpacks? Ivarpack.com. I-V is in Victor. A-R-P-A-C-K. Ivarpack.com. And are these currently in uh, in any bike shops? I mean, for instance, I know you guys are in the Bay Area. Any shops in the Bay Area that you would recommend that carry your your packs? Visit Mike's Bikes uh, in the Bay Area. They have five or six locations, San Francisco, Berkeley, uh, Palo Alto, I believe, Um, they're on the internet. Um, that's, that's the main one. Excellent. Ian, great to meet you and good luck with your product. Thank you so much, David. I'm in the Talus booth. I'm with John Sullivan. He's the CEO of Talus Outdoor Technologies, and you make the Cold Avenger face mask. Describe the product for me. It's a very simple design. Uh, it incorporates an air chamber, which allows the user to breathe completely freely without fogging their eyewear. It humidifies their next breath and keeps them warm and dry. Uh, The air chamber's design and shape and size are all very vital to the function of the mask. Uh, If it's too big, it doesn't uh, allow you to breathe completely freely. If it's too small, you get cold and doesn't humidify your next breath. So after about four years of a design, finally came out with a finished product that uh, 
follows all the requirements that we were looking for in our design. So every great product has an inspiration. What was your inspiration for coming up with it? Oh, shoot. Uh, my little sister, actually, yep. She couldn't ski in the real cold, mostly because she just, her skin got cold. We started inventing, we started having her wear, you know, just this traditional face mask, cover your face with fleece and neoprene, and she was never comfortable. Uh, and then we went into new ideas where to solve those original problems of fogging eyewear, not breathing freely, and not protecting your airways. Uh, and again, you know, after that, making the one version that she liked and then I got to try it and my buddies tried it and said well it's not working perfectly we moved on to the next you know version two prototype two and up to prototype number 37 I think is how many we actually had and finally came out with one that worked well so my listeners are cyclists uh, mountain bikers road cyclists and you know it gets cold and you start breathing hard your throat hurts how does your product solve that problem yeah, it's a, it's a very real problem. Um, the the big benefit to our problem, or excuse me, our, our mask, is the humidifying effects. That, um, according to the Journal of Sports Medicine, U.S. Sports Medicine, um, 50%, up to 50% of cold weather athletes have some sort of uh, decreased lung function or damage to their airways because of the cold weather. And th- coughing is one of those side effects. Uh, the humidifying effects and being able to breathe completely freely that humid uh, humidified and warmer air is key to solving those issues great do you have different um uh uh, models of the product or is does it simply come down to color and size we have uh, four different models actually starting with the cold avenger classic which is your traditional 300 weight polar fleece um, moves into the cold avenger pro which incorporates a soft shell fleece which is a really tightly knit fleece with a laminate shell on the outside, which is windproof, water-resistant. Uh, you know, they all stretch and are comfortable. We have the Cold Avenger Hunter, which is a 380-gram real heavyweight fleece for that real cold with a DWR finish to, you know, be water-repellent. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Cold Avenger Expedition version, which is a full-on balaclava. Uh, you pull it over your head. Neat new design where you can remove the front piece of it, the ventilator, real easily uh, with a Velcro closure. So you can access your hydration systems, uh, your cell phone, what, what have it, yeah. Which one would you recommend for your, your cyclist? Which one would be the, the right one? Remembering a variety of different cyclists, commuters, yeah. uh, road bikers who are out there sweating. Uh, what do you think would be best for them? I, I would highly recommend the Cold Avenger Pro because of the material's ability to block the wind. You know, when you're moving quick on a bike, uh, the last thing you want to have is a face mask that is not working, you know, that, that where you can still feel the cold. So the, the Cold Avenger Pro with the wind shearing material is definitely the way I'd go. Since what's the price point of that product? Uh, retail's fifty nine ninety five. Reasonable price. Where can people find more information? Uh, go to talusoutdoortech.com. And that's T-A-L-U-S. John, thanks so much. Great product. Good luck. Thank you very much. I'm in the Sunto booth, and I'm with Bill Porter, and we've been talking about what Sunto has for cyclists, and uh, I think you're all going to be pretty pleased with this. Uh, Bill, you've been showing me the T6 wrist top. You can't call it a watch anymore because it's really a computer. Tell me a little bit about that, that unit. The, the, the T6C, it's, we, we refer to everything as a sports instrument because we put the training aspect and the technical aspects ahead of just keeping time. Uh, the T, original T6, our first entry into uh, high-performance training. The T6C, which came out uh, a year ago, features a soft comfort belt. We use Ant technology, which is a digital technology, very similar to what you use in Bluetooth. So we're able to transmit data um, in milliseconds. 
It also allows us to have a range around the, the periphery for speed and distance pods of 10 feet as opposed to the 3 feet found in most product. Another thing about the is that there's, if everybody knows coded belts or whatever, and there's 24, 27 codes, we have 65,000 frequencies. So the chance that the guy next to you in the, in the triathlon or on your century ride having the exact same code, pretty slim. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So tell me a little bit, uh, before we talk about some of the sensors, tell me a little bit about the capabilities of uh, the wristwatch uh, wrist itself. Right. Well, the T6, we, it gives you, uh, of course, time, heart rate. It gives you something called training effect. Training effect is actually your, how your body is performing within that heart rate zone on a given workout. It also has an altimeter, allowing you to get uh, altimeter plots and, and altimeter climbs. Uh, and then you're able to use the speed and distance pods to get your speed and distance and cadence. Another thing about it is we have uh, two programmable screens. That means you can set, if you're a triathlete, you can set up one screen for the run, another screen for the, the ride. Okay, so you've mentioned these pods. Uh, we were looking at those earlier. Tell everybody what you told me about the various different pods that are available for cyclists. Right, well, we call it pods or peripheral observation device. For cyclists, we have a, um, a bike pod, which is a skewer pod, and it's basically built for us by our sister company, Mavic, and that's going to give you your speed and distance. We also offer a cadence option, so you can have the cadence flush your speed and distance. And then you have, also have the option, if you want, as a GPS pod. Uh, the other thing is there's the ability on the watch itself, since you pair it, to pair it with multiple speed and distance functions. So if you have two bikes, you have two different skewers, you can, you can pair two different skewers up with two different heart rate belts. So if you've got your mountain bike, you could have one skewer on there. Your road bike, you have another skewer. And I was mentioning that skewer looks a lot like, I mean, it was very recognizable to me as one that Mavic has for their own um, cycling computer. Yeah, it's identical. Mavic is, is our sister company. We're part of Amherst Sports, which is the world's largest hard goods, sporting goods company with brands like Salomon, Atomic, Precor, Mavic, Sunto, Wilson. A couple of small companies thrown in there. You know, you, you mentioned there the uh, GPS pod. Now, a lot of cyclists are familiar with a variety of GPS devices that are out there. This really isn't for cycling, but maybe for the multi-sport athlete. Describe that. Yeah, it's, it's for the multi-sport athlete. It's, it's almost more for somebody specific sports, say rowing, um, cross-country skiing, inline skating, where we, we can't get an accurate measurement. Our personal feeling is that where we can use a measure a skewer-type pod, which gets an extremely accurate measurement, or for runners, we use an accelerometer, which is, for, for better comparison, very similar to the technology used in the Nintendo Wii. It, um, it gives you much longer battery life, plus 99 hours, there's no acquisition problems. You can run through a stream in 10 feet. You can run through the city. You can train inside on a track, and you're going to get your speed and distance that, that way. Makes sense. Now, do you offer bundles with the T6 and a variety of different pods, or is it sort of a a la carte mix and match? You can get it both ways. Um, we're, we're, the, our whole theory or our whole philosophy is we're building a spoken hub uh, system where you can customize it yourself, or if you want to go to your retailer and get the tri-pack, which has our... Uh, memory belt, which actually, when, even when you're not wearing the heart rate monitor, the watch itself records the, your heart rate and saves it. Uh, includes the download, the soft belt. All, almost all of those heart rate monitors now come with a soft belt as opposed to a hard belt. And um, so, yes, yeah, so you can pair it up that way. Also, the download, uh, the download, which is a hard wire because there's so much data that's in the watch, it's really hard to transfer it via infrared or, or another system. 
So let's talk about that download briefly. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably like a USB cable that goes into your computer, and does Suntos provide software for that? Yeah, Suntos provides software for it. We have our own program. We're also uh, some of the other training programs we're, we're compatible with. We're also, uh, we know we have a lot of Mac users out there that uh, wish they could use Suntos with their Mac without going to uh, an Intel chip. We are working and should have in the near future online software so we, we avoid having to do the whole software issue, and Mac users can use it also. And I want you to know I didn't prime them for that. All my listeners know that I was going to ask you that question, so good for you. Um, I've been asked that question a lot, so I know. I'm sure you have. Maybe I just look like a Mac guy. Uh, lastly, where can people find more information on the product? You, you can go to Sunto.com. Um, it's a great place to start. We'll have a dealer listing. We'll give you some more information on it. And uh, one thing that is very cool about this technology we use in the T6 is um, because of the ant technology and a partnership with a company called FirstBeat, you actually give you, we give you f- seven different parameters, and some of those include, of course, your calories, your heart rate, but we also give you a very good epoch reading, which won't uh, substitute the actual test, but allows you to not have to spend so much money every time you want to get that test. Um, speed and distance, cadence, ascent and descent rate. That's great. And then lastly, uh, you were telling me about some athletes uh, that have used this product successfully. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we've been very, very successful with the, with the athletes, and people aren't, aren't always familiar with Sunto, so you'll find people like Andy Potts, all the gold medal winners in the uh, 2008 Olympic triathlon were wearing Sunto products, and uh, Matty Reed also uses Sunto uh, T6s for his last two champ- U.S. championships. That's great. And that's Sunto.com. That's S-U-U-N-T-O. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Now, the outdoor retailer shows, both the winter and summer shows, are for retailers only. They're not for consumers. And one of the things that I think uh, I've noticed that has grown uh, over the years is the use by retailers of social media and the use by manufacturers of social media. And I had the chance earlier this weekend to interview Chris Matthews from Specialized Bicycles. Chris wrote a book, um, actually quite quickly, you'll hear that in the interview, wrote a book called Social Media for Bike Shops. I think that it's interesting, not only for those of you who work at bike shops, but also for those of you who are simply interested in social media, whether for your personal life, or for your professional life, whether you work in, a, in the bike industry or any other industry. So here is my interview from earlier this weekend with Chris Matthews from Specialized. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the media and, and elsewhere about social media these days. And a lot of us wonder, what does social media mean? Uh, what does it mean to me as a cyclist? What does it mean for my business? And a lot of bike shops are asking the question as well. On the line with us today is Chris Matthews. Chris wrote a book called Social Media for Bike Shops. Chris, welcome to the Fredcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about your background because you do have a cycling industry background. You work for Specialized. Tell me what you do there. I'm the Global Marketing Integrations Manager for Specialized, which is maybe a, a a little fancier than it needs to be a way of saying that I work with our offices overseas to make sure that globally the specialized brand is represented consistently. And uh, that can extend anywhere from working on print ads to websites to new things like social media, um, 
also involves a lot of a lot of listening and a lot of communication with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people around the world. It's a cool, cool job, and uh, I get to work with some great people. It sounds like a lot of fun. How, how long have you been there? And uh, I'm guessing you're also a cyclist. Yeah, I've uh, been here for almost four years. Um, started started riding bikes and racing bikes when I was in uh, in high school, and uh, have been riding ever since. Um, worked in the bike bike industry my whole life. Started out in a bike shop in a small town near near Toronto, Ontario, and uh, have since spent some tours of duty in several places. But uh, always always related to bikes. And, and it's funny. I think that that's a pretty common theme when I talk to people in the bike industry. You know, they started when they were kids and they just never stopped. It's great to turn an avocation into an occupation. So congratulations to you for that. So let's talk a little bit about social media. Now, the book you wrote, Social Media for Bike Shops, before we really get into it, and, and this is one of the toughest parts, define social media. What exactly does that mean? Huh. Um, depends who you ask, I suppose. But as far as I can tell, social media is any way that people interact with each other in a way that is a dialogue instead of a, a one-way communication. So anything that allows two or more people to work back and forth on a topic um, and you, you kind of go from the traditional media of like, uh, let's say a print ad, which is a very one-way conversation. There's no way you can interact with it to something like Facebook or Twitter where anything that gets put up invites further conversation, comment, or um, additional dialogue on the topic. So, you know, in, in the 80s and early 90s, uh, bike companies, bike component companies were doing, as you said, print ads, they were doing catalogs, um, uh, going to to races, maybe they had a static website. And then as we got toward the, the late 90s, maybe people added uh, forums to their websites or bulletin boards. And now we've gone into, as you said, the Twitters and Facebooks and, and MySpaces of the world. One of the questions that I probably get asked the most um, from businesses, and of course we're going to talk about bike shops in a minute, is what's the value of social media? And then from consumers, why would I want to get involved? So how do you answer those questions? So the value of social media, and it, you can answer that in a couple of ways. You're, you're right in pointing out that we all we all started from a place where there were there were print ads and catalogs and it's worth pointing out that we still do that because there's still value to those kind of communications. There, there's a reason to do it, and uh, this is a complement to what we've already done. So I think I, I hate to interrupt you, but I think that that's a significant point. Something that a, a lot of folks seem seem to forget is that social media and, and some of the online stuff that people are doing really does complement the, the traditional marketing, right? Definitely. I mean, this is this is a if you can get a little bit abstract, it's an extension of the idea that radio ads on their own might not work so well and billboards on their own might not work so well. But if you have radio ads and billboards at the same time, people find the, the effectiveness increases. And so this is just – it's another another way to reach the people with a message that you're trying trying to get out there. And in many cases – it forces you to be more honest and more relevant if you want to get noticed. Uh, it, it's outside of what uh, I think Seth Godin coined the term interruption marketing. 
it's uh, it's outside that realm into the world of of actual dialogue. So the value then is is the the additional times that you're able to, uh, for instance, uh, you know the sort of the sales term touch your customer, um, but also the value is in the fact that you're being more transparent with your customers. Uh, absolutely. So there's transparency and there's just plain relevance. Mm. Um, if if you if you're not relevant, no matter what the social media outlet is, the the, the, the medium here is not the message. The, the the medium here is a way to reach people, but if there's no relevance, these people won't be talking to you. Um, they and, self-select in. And so for a consumer uh, or, uh, you know, no, no matter, or, or a customer of a bike shop, for instance, what's their, what's their reason for wanting to get involved in this? Well, there's, that, that's, Two questions. So, from from the consumer point of view, it's a way to stay in touch with and stay in contact with a lot of different people. And I have lots of friends that I stay in touch with around the world through social media that I would have a hard time staying in, t- as, in as close a contact with if I relied only on postcards and phone calls. Um, and it, invo- it allows you to be involved at a, a much more um, a much more surface level, um, like conversation level, the, the kind of the kind of relationship you have with people you work with every day, mm-hmm. where you say hi in the hall and you pick up on a couple things, coffee, coffee, you know, water cooler conversations, but um, you feel still feel like you're part of it. And then on the bike shop side of things, the real value here is that this stuff is all free. This is a way for you to have real valuable conversations with a lot of people who want to have conversations with you and it doesn't cost you a thing. So wh- why specifically write a book for bike shops? I mean, what's, what's unique about a bike shop? Why is it, as you said, important that it's, that it's, it's free? What, why write it for a bike shop? Well, and for one thing, bike shops is one of the things I know. Yeah. Uh, I've been there and, uh, Bike shops have a culture around them that this works for. Uh, people are devoted to their shop to a large extent. And anyone who's worked in a shop or been in a shop knows that there, there's, a, there's a core tribe there. And those tribes that want to have those, those interactions with each other and be part of that club, if you will, this is a perfect way to foster that. These are real valuable relationships that bike shops right now, you only get to see your customers when they come in your shop or go on a ride with you, but you don't see them in their everyday life or, you know, you don't know what they're doing on a Tuesday afternoon when they're at work. But as they start feeding into the idea of Twitter feeds that let you into a little more of what they're doing or even better, the other going the other way, where they're starting to watch what you're doing and what you're putting up on a regular basis and maybe become more involved in things that your shop's doing, whether it's bike rides or new products arriving or uh, uh, demos that are happening, athletes that are visiting stores, races that are happening nearby. There's a ton of ways to get this kind of information out to people who might not otherwise come see you every day. So what are you telling them in the book? What, what is the content of the book? What are, you, what are you trying to achieve with it? Well, the, the book, or 
the, the guide as it is, is something that just shows people step by step how to go from having nothing to having a Facebook page, having a Twitter account, linking those up. Uh, for specialized dealers, showing them how the Specialized Riders Club works and how to get involved in that, and how to have how to build your presence online. Just a lot of screenshots, step by step. Click this button and click this button. Trying to make it as easy as possible for guys who might be really comfortable in the bike shop but might not be super comfortable with the, the social media world yet. And then once they've got that, gone through the process, and this is kind of key forcing them to go through the process themselves rather than farm it out to somebody else shows them how this stuff works and they'll find dozens of new ways to use it. They'll, every one of these, these shops that takes on this kind of uh, social media direction will find things that work for their shop specifically just based on the way that they interact with their customers or the way they conduct their business. So it's really a primer for just for anyone almost for getting started with social media, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's no reason that a, a florist or, uh, or or a carpenter couldn't pick up the same guide and use a lot of the similar tenants to it. But I tried to put in a lot of ideas of things that make it bike industry specific. So things that you can do on a Facebook page for your bike shop that will let you do things like announce when your weekly rides are or how you could use Twitter to tell your audience that, oh, we've got a new S4 Epic in stock, and there's a guy out test riding it right now. It was only on the floor for 10 minutes. Mm. So um, just different ways that, they, that this allows them to leverage their audiences. So what about a lot of my listeners belong to or lead, um, whether they're group rides or clubs or they put on events. Um, can they find good information in there that they can use as well? Absolutely. Um, there, there are several ways, and, and particularly Facebook, it's a great place to start just because the audience there is so big. They've got so many million people on this thing that, that there's guaranteed going to be a group of people on there that are interested if you can get them aware of it. So if you're running rides to be able to put your ride on Facebook and then invite people to it is a great way to try and uh, try and get more people out and the fun part is when someone signs up for that ride, that shows up in their feed of what they're up to, so all their friends find out about it. So you get a viral loop happening where the people who you know will start passively supporting things you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, what better value, and bike shops know this, what better value than the value of a referral? So... So Facebook, uh, MySpace—they're they're really the, the the big players in this space. You, you've also mentioned Twitter. I think I've mentioned Twitter probably ad nauseum on my show. Yeah. But I'm wondering—you know—as sort of now a social media guru, uh, are there any new sites or, or new services that you're finding that you think might be up and coming? Um, well, let's see. Facebook continues to evolve. And, and change. I mean, I think they, they really do lead the way as far as the, the baselines are. Think of it as like the phone book of you know, what we'll go to in, over the next few years when you want to find somebody or something. Um, but then there's, there are lots of other tangent social media sites that 
offer specific, like really highly contextualized experiences that Facebook might gloss over because specifically it is broad-based. Um, there a specialized riders club is one for sure that comes to mind. And now that's not necessarily new. It's been around for a few years, but still continues to grow. And it's very cycling specific as a way to put up bike rides that are happening, info about you as a rider, the bikes you're riding, um, inside, sort of insider specialized news about athletes and products that we can announce there that might come out at a little bit earlier or might be a little um, more behind the curtain mm -hmm. than what we would normally put on Specialized.com or release in a press release to the media. Um, so, yeah, the, there, are, there are those. Twitter is probably the next, the newest large-scale social media that, that's getting a lot of play right now, and I think with good reason, just mainly because it's so easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of pros use it. Lance, Lance Armstrong, Yvonne Basso, uh, David Zabriskie. Um, the, the list is, is long and getting longer all the time. And uh, so that, that, one's, that one's pretty relevant. Um, what about, and, what about it, sites like Seismic and FriendFeed and places like that? Now, Seismic, FriendFeed, I mean, you, you're, you're getting into um, thinner and thinner audiences of people who really are expert users at that point of Twitter mm -hmm. and are trying to improve that, that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're into things like that, you're already past what, I'm trying to, what I was trying to do with this, which right. is introduce someone to it. Right. So, yeah, when you get into it, there's a ton of other places to go and a ton of ways to customize it, but I'm trying to not make it so scary. Yeah, exactly. Now, is it your plan that as um, um, some of these other sites that are out there um, become larger, I mean, you know, a few years ago, only a few people knew Twitter. Is it your plan to, to keep the book updated considering at the moment, you know, it is an ebook? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, this thing started as, a, as an idea over my Christmas holidays that I just thought, hey, you know, I think this, this could be neat. And I started out as a blog post, and then the blog post quickly grew into something bigger, and then all of a sudden it was a 45-page PDF, and I was like, wow, okay. So, <laughs> wasn't exactly where I started out to end up, but it's where I ended up, and absolutely it, it will take updating and uh, and some, some care and maintenance to keep it relevant because – Facebook will change the interface and uh, th things will change that will make things work differently. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I really stressed as I, as I put this out there is I want feedback on it. And I, you know, as I get feedback and as I get ideas, I'll look at using those as ways to improve it. Um, and it was also just a test to see if there was interest in this kind of stuff. If I put it out there, does anyone care? Or does it just speak to the converted already? Um, and I think that I'm, the jury's still out on whether or not this is really converting a lot of new people into the world or just getting a lot of support from people who already did this stuff. Right. So where can people find the book? Because I'm sure that, that there's a lot of folks listening, uh, whether they're bike shops again or clubs or, or just individuals who want to get involved, who've heard us all talk about it but don't really know what to do and they're scared. Where can they find your book? Um, well, it's, uh, it's a PDF you can download off of uh, the, the blog post I've put up on Christmas Day, mm -hmm. and so my my blog is at creativeextreme.com, so it's creative, 
xtreme.com. And then you can also find it through some of the other sites that linked to it when it launched. Um, bikebiz.com had an article about it. Uh, the editor there, Carl, Carlton Reed, supported the idea. The Interbike Times blog put up a list, small news story around it. So also going to Google and searching for social media for bike shops should bring it up in, in the first page of results. Great. And I'll link to all of those uh, in the show notes for the show. Well, Chris, it's a, cool. it's a great idea. Um, I, of course, have gone through the whole book. And, and uh, it's a, as I said, it's a great primer for, for folks who have never been involved in social media before. Um, good luck with it and uh, good luck awesome. at Specialized. Thanks. And, of course, I will also uh, put a link into the Specialized Riders Club so that people can check that out. Absolutely, please do. As well. Chris, thanks so much for being on the Fredcast. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, as I mentioned in the interview, I did put links in the show notes, so go ahead and check them out at www.thefredcast.com. And that probably brings up the best chance for me to tell you how you can contact me here at the Fredcast and stay in touch with everything that we're doing. Uh, First of all, probably the way to stay in touch on a day-to-day basis is uh, my Twitter feed. That's twitter.com slash Fredcast. Of course, you can send me an email anytime to thefredcast at gmail.com or give us a call on our Fredcast listener hotline, area code 435-258-6FRED or 435-258-6373. And our website, once again, is www.thefredcast.com. Well, I'm going to close out this extra long show, the return of the Fredcast, with, as I always do, Podsafe Cycling Music. Now, this music tonight comes to us from a unique source. This comes from a Fredcast listener and a friend of mine, Rex Anderson from Rexomatic Records. This is Darren Mahoney from his album, In the Grain. The song is called Top Down. I've got links in the show notes to where you can find Darren's website, as well as to where you can buy the song, the album, or just find Darren on iTunes. Thanks so much to Darren and to Rexomatic Records for supplying us with this great Podsafe cycling music. So I promise I'll be back next week. I hope you'll be here with me. But between this week and next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride.